Amen. Please be seated. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. The epistle of the Ephesians. We'll look this morning uh, some verses in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. When I was uh, being interviewed uh, and questioned by you all earlier this year, uh, prior to y'all calling me here, I believe one of the children asked me uh, what my favorite Bible verse was. I was not able to answer what my particular favorite verse was, but I did tell you guys what my favorite sentence in the Bible is. And that is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. You might think 3 through 14, a sentence. Well, yes, in the original Greek, this whole section is one long sentence. It's not broken up by periods. Uh, When I was a child, my mom was teaching me how to read. I had a problem skipping over periods. I just continued to run on and run on. And she said, no, Timothy... When you see a period, when you see this little dot, it means take a breath, pause for a moment. And I think of that when I read this passage. Paul is writing all one long sentence. Paul is breathlessly proclaiming the glories of God in Christ. He doesn't have time to take a breath and pause. He wants to tell us, all about the grace of God in Christ. This morning, we'll just be looking at a small portion of this, verses three through six, but in order for us to see the entire sentence together before uh, we delve into the riches of God's word, I'd like to read verses three through 14 of this glorious, glorious treasure of the word of God. So listen now to the word of the living and true God from Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, as we come now to your word, we ask that you would reveal to us glorious things about yourself, that you would show us more fully, more beautifully, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have great cause to praise you this morning through what we read in your word about who you are and what you have done. Lord, may the focus of our time in your word this morning be only and ever on you, our heavenly Father, and on our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I figure probably most of you adults, at least, are familiar with the concept of a rags-to-riches story. Children, if you don't know what a rags-to-riches story is, I'll explain it to you. It's pretty self-explanatory, but imagine that you were an orphan with absolutely nothing, living on the streets, begging day by day for for just a little bit of bread to eat. And one day, you saw a man walking past you in really, really nice clothes. He was all decked out, the nicest suit you could possibly imagine. And you went up to him and you said, sir, please, could you spare some change so I could buy bread? And he looks at you, he rubs his chin a little bit, And he says, I tell you what, how about instead of just giving you some change for some bread, I take you into my family and I give you everything that I own. Now that would be an amazing rags to riches story, wouldn't it? This is kind of the theme behind a lot of great stories which we have in books. Charles Dickens Uh, most of his characters have kind of rags-to-riches story. Oliver Twist starts out that poor little orphan boy who doesn't have anything, and by the end of the story, he's adopted into a family who's able to take care of him and provide all of his needs. We see rags-to-riches stories in everyday real life. There's lots of people who have a lot of money now who started off with absolutely nothing. They were scraping by, working as waiters or waitresses until they got their big shot in Hollywood or until their book was finally published and it became a bestseller. And now, all of a sudden, they go from having nothing to having more than they could have possibly imagined. Rags to riches stories are, are great stories. They're encouraging and maybe sometimes make us think, man, I wish that would happen to me. Christian, have you ever considered your own rags-to-riches story. Because that has happened to you. That's what Paul talks about in this text here that we'll look at this morning. It's a rags-to-riches story. Because Paul tells us this morning of the immeasurable grace of God which is demonstrated in the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Namely, that God has chosen us to be part of his people. God took you who had rags, nothing, and he brought you into his family and has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
Christian, you have a rags to riches story and it's glorious. And it's glorious because of the glorious one who has brought you into his family. Well, this whole entire sentence goes through uh, kind of the rags to riches story. But there's three different parts to this sentence which uh, emphasize a different person of the Trinity and uh, a different part of this great salvation which we have. I would really love to preach on the entire thing, uh, but considering the fact that I have chosen just these four verses, you might imagine how long it would take me to preach on the entire sentence. So this morning, we'll just be looking at the first uh, section of these great blessings which we have in Christ, namely election and predestination, these twin graces given to us by God, worked out by God, especially by God the Father, to the praise of his glorious grace. We see the the doctrine of election, this great grace given to us in verses 3 and 4, and we see predestination, its counterpart, its uh, its twin, really, in verses 5 and 6, and we see what Paul has to say about them, praising God for them, what God wants us to see through his word about these things. So with that in mind, I ask that you now turn your attention to our text this morning where we see the immeasurable grace of God demonstrated in the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. The first of which, as we see this morning, is God's loving choice for us to be part of his people. Let's look at the first of these Uh, great blessings, the first part of these great blessings. Look at verses three and four, where we see this great grace of election in Christ. We read there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Paul begins this, uh, this entire sentence of this section this morning with an exclamation of praise to the living and true God. Notice he doesn't start out by saying, all right, here's doctrine, and now let's get to praise. No, he begins with praising God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we praise God, when we glorify God, when we say with with Paul, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, are we adding something to God? I think this is maybe a question that that many of us uh, have thought about uh, once or twice in our lives at least. We know that we are to glorify God. We know that we're to praise him. But maybe you're thinking, well, God is perfect, God is is all glorious. How do I glorify God? I can't add anything to God. So how does me glorifying God, how does me blessing God work? What happens there? I think our, our Westminster Shorter Catechism is maybe a little bit helpful in explaining this to us when it talks about the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, where we say, hallowed be thy name. We want God's name to be holy, Uh, The Shorter Catechism says, basically, when we pray that God's name would be hallowed, we're praying that God would enable us and others to glorify him in 
everything. To glorify him in everything. We're not adding something to God, but we're asking God, Lord, I want to praise you. I want to to proclaim good words towards you. I want to, to tell of all of your wonderful goodness and your marvelous greatness. I want to sing praise you with, with my heart stirred up in love and affection for you. Help me to do that. Paul begins this section by praising God, by, by blessing God, by blessing his name because his heart has been stirred up by all of these great things which he will write about. Our hearts also ought to be and must be stirred up by the things which we will read this morning. We must have, in our Christian walk, a right understanding of Scripture, of doctrine. We call that orthodoxy. We must also have a right living, following God, doing what he says. We can call that orthopraxy, right living, orthodoxy, right doctrine, right understanding, right knowledge. But both of those must come together to produce in us doxology, praise, praise to the living and true God. That's where Paul begins with this sentence. That's where Paul ends in verse 14. He ends with to the praise of his glory. All of this, all these doctrines which we learn, everything that there is to know about election or predestination, about justification, sanctification, adoption, all of these things are meant to produce in us a heart of right praise to the Lord our God. That's where Paul begins. That's where we must begin. We must praise God. And why does Paul praise God? Well, it's very evident here. He says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If there was ever a reason to sing unending praises, to to bless God, Minute by minute, second by second, to have all of our thoughts consumed with the praise of God, this would be the thing that should do it. We are blessed in Christ through our union with the Lord Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. It's as though God has taken us, uh, the the poor uh, orphan wearing rags, begging for bread, brought us to his house and threw open the doors where we see countless treasures within and says, this is all yours. God has thrown open the treasure houses of heaven to you who are in Christ. But take particular notice of this. We are blessed in Christ with the spiritual blessings, union with Christ. We have all of these spiritual blessings, but there front and center, greater than any of these other treasures. What do we have? Rather, who do we have? We have the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the crown jewel of heaven, if you will, the greatest treasure of all. Maybe you remember in in the story of the Hobbit, the leader of the dwarves, Thorin, when they go take back the the lonely mountain, there's one treasure that he wants more than anything else. He wants this special gemstone called the Arkenstone. 
It's bigger and, and more beautiful than any other gem in existence. It's, it's one of a kind. It's, it's the only thing that possesses his thoughts. He wants the Arkenstone. Brothers and sisters, Christ, Christ is the Arkenstone of all the treasures of heaven. Better even beside, because Christ is the one that makes heaven glorious. He is the one uh, who causes us to, to revel and rejoice in the treasures that we have. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ himself has purchased all of these blessings for us by his merit. So when we are united to him, then we have all of the blessings of the heavenly places. Do you see what a great and glorious thing Paul proclaims here? We have Christ, the greatest treasure of all, and then all other lesser treasures, even though they are immensely great and, and immeasurably great, flow from him. Blessed be our God and Father. We have Christ. And we really could probably end there. And we would have more than enough to praise God for, wouldn't we? Walk away right now and, and sing praises to God with hearts full of love and rejoicing. But though we have been given this greatest of all treasures, God has given us much more beside. And that's what Paul goes to next. He says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. When? When did this choosing of God happen? Before the foundation of the world. Children, go look at a calendar when you get home and look back to what yesterday was and then flip the pages. Well, maybe don't do that. Don't flip all the pages back. Your mom will have to put them all back later. But think back months and months. Think back years and years. Maybe you can find an old calendar stuffed in a drawer somewhere maybe from a time before you were born. Think back years and years before that to when your parents were born. Now think all the way back to the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Is that when God chose you? No. It wasn't yesterday. It wasn't last week. It wasn't many years ago. It wasn't when your parents were little. God chose his people before he even created the world, before he laid the foundations before he uh, poured the concrete slab, as it were, God chose in Christ all those who he would save. When we had done nothing because we didn't even exist and there was frankly no possibility of us even existing right there except for God's decree that we would exist, God loved us. He loved us and placed his claim upon us. Before your parents met and fell in love, before your great-grandparents or anyone else, before you were even a consideration by any person on this earth, God loved you. And he said, I'm going to save that person. Brothers and sisters, this should give us great joy, great confidence in the Lord, confidence in our salvation. You didn't do anything to make God love you. 
which means you can't do anything to make God stop loving you. He has set his love upon his people and so saved them and saved them to the fullest. This is great and glorious. This should give great hope and confidence to the people of God that we see such a glorious display of love and kindness, of grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ that God would would pull us out of, of the masses to bring us into his family would take us, rags and all, and say, I will adopt you, which we'll see in a minute. When did God choose us before the foundation of the world? Why did God choose us? Not why as in something which we had done, would do, excuse me, but God's purpose for choosing us. Look at the verse, uh, half, second half, my goodness, of verse 4 that we should be holy and blameless before him. God has chosen us, elected us for a purpose. He didn't just say, okay, I'm bringing you out of your rags and into riches. Now do whatever you want. Feel free to live according to my rules or not. You do whatever you want to do. God saved us for a specific purpose. And here Paul tells us that that is so that we would be holy and blameless before him. This means, first of all, that he's chosen us to be a people set apart for himself. Remember, God says very similar things to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 7, if you can think back a couple of months ago when we read that. God said, I'm choosing you to be my people, uh, to be set apart from the nations, to be a people peculiar to me. Not peculiar as in weird, but peculiar as in different from everyone else around them. They were to be a nation that worshipped the living and true God and served the living and true God. They were set apart, holy, sanctified. That's what holy and sanctified means. It means to be set apart, to be different. Then. And so God has done the same thing for us. He has saved us in Christ and set us apart from the world. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are different from everyone else who is not trusting in Christ. You've been set apart. You've been made, as we read before worship in 1 Peter, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. In Christ, you are all of those things because of God's choosing of you, because of election. But this also means this holy and blameless life that we are supposed to uh, be because of our election. This also means that we're supposed to live a life of holiness, of blamelessness, of uprightness, Serving the Lord in fear. In Leviticus 19, verse 2, God told the people of Israel, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And he says the same thing to us. He says, my children, be holy, for I am holy. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You have been set apart 
made distinct. Now you must live like it. Jesus says, follow me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come after me. Our life, our conduct uh, before others, before the world, ought to be one above reproach. One which looks like the Savior whom we follow. Now, certainly, we still struggle against this remnant of sin in us, don't we? We still falter. We still fail. We, we fall daily. We continue to sin, even though we've been set apart, so we are, be, we are called to live uh, a life of holiness, of blamelessness. We don't always. What, what do we do about that? We must return to this uh, concept of God's great love for us, remembering that he is gracious and forgiving. And, and when we sin, when we don't live a life holy and blameless, we are to run, run to Christ, confessing our sins and asking forgiveness. Not hide behind bushes like Adam and Eve because we're fearful of God, but remembering the great love with which God loved us. Love so great that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. And, and in remembering that love, we must fly back to God, fly to Christ and say, forgive me, Lord, and help me to live life holy and blameless before you as you have called me to do because of our election. Brothers and sisters, we should make our calling and election sure. Peter tells us that uh, in the second epistle of Peter. How do we do that? I think Hebrews might help clarify that a little bit. We are to look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and thus run the race with endurance. How do we make our calling and election sure? We remember the grace of God in Christ. We look to Christ. We focus on him. We run after him. And we obey him, living a life uh, of obedience, of holiness, and blamelessness. I exhort you, do this. Continue looking to Christ and constantly, constantly follow after him. When you sin, it's as though you've uh, maybe tripped fallen like a little child get back up and run to him ask him to lift you up out of the dust and ask him to forgive you uh, to, to draw you closer to himself to give you even more cause to praise him for his glorious grace this is one of those things which which the doctrine of election should cause us to do to examine ourselves and then to take great hope and the God who has chosen us out of his love. We ought also to praise God for, for this twin grace of election, predestination, which we see there in verse 5, uh, in verse 6. Paul writes that in love he, that is God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It was in love 
that the Father predestined us, set a destination for us beforehand. And to what are we predestined? Uh, This is another one of my uh, favorite doctrines of Scripture. Adoption. Adoption as sons in the family of God. Now, when the Ephesians originally read this letter, they would have been thinking of Roman adoption, most likely. And our own practices of adoption in the Western world very closely mirror that of Rome. You see, adoption in ancient Rome was undertaken usually by wealthy men who needed an heir. Maybe their own son, their natural son, was a ne'er-do-well. And this wealthy man thought, well, I don't want to give my wealth to him. He's just going to squander it and not take care of it. Or maybe they had no son. And so they were looking for someone who would be responsible and take care of everything they had. These adopted children were freely chosen by the parent. That is to say, if you were adopted, the wealthy person would basically come up and say, well, I'm adopting you. You didn't get to say, I think I'll adopt you as my father. Now I'm your heir. That would be backwards. Parents adopt the child freely. That means that they were desired by the parents. And that child adopted into the family was a permanent part of the family. Permanent. In ancient Rome, the parents could not disown that child. He had been brought into the family. He had been made an heir. He was there to stay. Paul tells the Ephesians, we are adopted into the family of God. Freely chosen by the Father. The Father desired to save us out of his great love, choosing us and bringing us into the family. Making us heirs, not because Christ, the eternal son, is a ne'er-do-well, but because the Father and the great riches of his grace says, I've given all things to my son and all of these people whom I am adopting will have my riches in Christ himself. God the Father is not just a wealthy landowner who is going to give a small fortune to his children. He's the God who owns all things. And as such, he is giving all things to the son and then by extension, all things to us who are in Christ. And God makes us a permanent part of his family. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We are secure in him. We are adopted children of God. And as such, we have all the rights and privileges of the sons of God. All the rights and privileges. We are not servants who are not allowed to approach the master. We are sons who can go to our father, boldly approaching the throne of grace in time of need, crying out, Abba, Father, because of the Holy Spirit which he has given to us. We are adopted predestined to adoption, made members of the family of God, chosen 
by God from before the foundation of the world and then in time brought into his household to be part of his people, his family. And we could stop there. And we will essentially stop there this morning. But Paul continues to proclaim grace upon grace, all of these great blessings and benefits that we have in Christ. This adoption to sons was accomplished in love. You see there, very end of verse 4 and verse 5. In love he predestined us, and it was according to the kind intention of his will. The Father's great grace proclaimed to us and bestowed on us because it was what he desired to do. And we see the why. And in seeing the why, we kind of see a sandwich. Why are we predestined to adoption as sons to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved? We are adopted into God's family so that we can worship God, so that we can praise him, so that we can be those who worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's one of the only things Jesus said that the Father is seeking. She said the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. God has chosen us out of all of the peoples of this earth, has brought us into his family so that we would worship him in spirit and in truth to the praise of his glorious grace, this grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, this marvelous grace, this abundant grace, this overflowing grace is something which we ought, something which we, we must praise God for. With this in mind, I think we should think about how secure we are in Christ. You should be confident in your salvation. If the Father loved you, sent his son to die for you, if the Father chose you in Christ and made you part of his family in Christ, adopted so as never to be disowned, why do you have any fear? Well, I suppose the answer to that is because we need God to help us with our unbelief, really. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief. But we shouldn't have unbelief, should we? We should have great confidence in Christ because we are chosen in him. And we should have great joy, shouldn't we? The Father has made us children Heirs together with Christ, heirs of the living and true God, dear saints, be joyful in the Lord of your salvation. When you sing his praises, don't, don't mumble. Sing praises. Sing to him. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't have to be particularly beautiful, but it should be full of joy and praise. We have been brought into the family of God. As we saw over and over again in 1 John, this means that we ought to love one another. Love your brother and sister in Christ. 
praise God together with them. Point them more and more to Jesus. Help them to see the glory of God more fully as you seek to love them. And praise God for his abundant grace. For that specifically. I've said many times in my sermons when we come to particular doctrines, this is something that you can praise God for. When you don't feel like praising him, think about this. Usually that has to do with Christ and our salvation. Here, think specifically about these great blessings of election and predestination, that God chose you. If you are trusting in Christ, you are chosen of God. If you are trusting in Christ, you have been made a part of God's family. If you are trusting in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are trusting in Christ, you have a rags to riches story. Praise God for that. So I know our our time in this has been relatively brief, but I trust that you see here through these short verses that if you are in Christ, you have a salvation planned before the foundation of the world. You, if you're trusting in Christ, have a salvation planned before the foundation of the world. Not just a salvation generally, but the salvation of you, chosen before the foundation of the world. I, I trust you see that the immeasurable grace of God is demonstrated in these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, especially these two of election and, and predestination to adoption. Trust you see that this election comes from the great love and grace of God as he brings us into his family. Trust you see that he has demonstrated his glory through these things. And I trust that if you are in Christ, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus, if this great love of God has been shown to you, you will glorify him with your words and deeds, living as holy and blameless worshipers of the living and true God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we praise you greatly and we bless your name. We marvel at these great graces poured out upon us in Christ. We thank you that most of all, we have the Lord Jesus. If we had nothing else but him, we would have a treasure far greater than anything and everything the great and wide universe could contain. We thank you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us, that you set this love upon us, that you chose us from before the foundation of the world, that you have made us children of the living and true God through Christ. We praise you for this, Lord, and we ask that you would stir up our hearts to praise you even more. Lord, when we have cold, uh, praiseless hearts. Remind us of this great and glorious truth, namely that we have Christ, and help us to praise you for that. We ask in his name. Amen.